Good afternoon. This is April 5th. My name is Tommy Allen, and I'm the senior pastor of New Hope Presbyterian Church in Kent, Washington. And this is actually a re-recording of our live stream this morning. We had a few glitches. So as of right now, we're going to act like this is what happened. So I'm going to start this morning with um, a reading from Luke about Palm Sunday as a way to sort of open us up. I'm not preaching about Palm Sunday, but you'll see that what happened in Holy Week is what Jesus teaches today in the Sermon on the Mount. So, hear the word of God. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Let me pray. Father, I just pray that now as we uh, gather here again, that you would open the eyes of the blind of those who, who see this and hear this um, and open their ears. I pray that you'd be in my head and in my thinking and in my heart and in my understanding and in my mouth and in my speaking. In Jesus' name we pray all of these things. Amen and amen. So we're continuing in our series on the Sermon on the Mount. And so I typically open with a question. So the question I have for you this week is just this. Um, what do most popular, highest grossing Hollywood movies have in common? In other words, think about, about the most popular movies, maybe your own favorite movies, and what do they have in common? And spoiler alert, it's justice. All of these, the movies that make the most money, the movies that we love the most, the movies that people flock to, are movies where justice is the, the prevalent theme. In, in other words, where the, where the good guy wins and the bad guy loses. If you think in the past decade, the, the highest grossing movies have been all of the, Mar the Marvel movies. And in all the Marvel movies, right, what's the theme? Good guy wins, bad guy loses, ultimately. And so even there was a study done in, at Ohio State University of about 150 college students. And here's how the school paper wrote it up. The title of the story, it's Ohio State News, February 11, 2020, and the title is this. Revenge is more enjoyable than forgiveness, at least in stories. And the author of this study said, we like stories in which the wrongdoers are punished, and when they get more punishment than they deserve, we find it fun. That was author Matthew Grizzard, an assistant professor of communication. So in other words, what I think that study is getting at is what we know to be true is that in every human heart there is there's a hunger for justice. There's a hunger for some kind of retribution to know that evil will be punished and taken care of. And that's what we're going to talk about today, what Jesus' teaching on retribution and retaliation. And so far in the, in the Sermon on the Mount, um, Jesus has taken laws from the Old Testament that were typically being misused by religious leaders or maybe by just the average Joe. And he states the law and then he states his own correction of it, what, what, how it should really be lived out. And so, so far we've looked at um, murder, lust, divorce, all of these issues. And in every case, Jesus would say, you know, you've heard it said you should not commit adultery, but I say. And so today we're going to look at something a little bit different because it's, a, it's maybe the most famous passage in all of the Bible, or, or at least the most famous phrase, because Jesus is going to address the Old Testament law 
having to do with an eye for an eye, right? And on the surface, um, you think, well, what needs to be corrected about that? We'll see today. Basically, um, we're going to look at three things today. We're going to look at a failure of grace. We're going to look at a life of grace. And then finally, we're going to look at a man of grace. Another way to, to look at it, you might say we're going to look at a failure of grace. Um, and then we're going to look at a life of grace that's enabled by a man of grace. So let's look at the, the first point here. Um, let me read to you um, first the passage. It's Matthew uh, chapter 5, verses 38 through 42. And Jesus says, Have you heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth? But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you take your t and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. This is the word of the Lord. Peanut gallery. So, what is the purpose of the law? Look at verse 38. He says, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. So, in order to understand the correction, it would be helpful to understand what the original law meant. And so, remember in the Matrix, Morpheus, that, that meme where Morpheus says, what if I told you? And so, that's what I'm thinking of here. It's sort of like, what if I told you? that eye for an eye was actually about grace and not about retaliation. Would that surprise you? You see, when you consider the Old Testament, there are three types of law, right? There's the moral law, which is the Ten Commandments and laws like that. There's the ceremonial law that had to do with sacrifices and the priesthood. And then on top of all that, there was the judicial law, the way that Israel was to be run but by way of government. And the laws were given to judges so that they would know how to apportion out discipline or punishment. And so when you get to the, this uh, law, of an eye for an eye, which just shows up in about three different places in the Old Testament, as a judicial law, it was given not in order to prescribe punishment. It, it, in other words, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't said, okay, here's the law. If someone knocks out another person's tooth, then that person's tooth must be knocked out. That was never the law. Instead of giving to prescribe punishment, it was given to restrain retaliation, right? Because what is our inclination? I, I can only tell you my inclination. If someone came up to me and just knocked my tooth out, I would want to knock their lights out. I mean, I would want to take it to another level altogether. And what these laws did was they were actually gracious in that they constrained what you were able to do to another person rather than prescribed what you should do to another person. And... Eventually, they were even monetized, and so the, the, uh, the judge could say, you know, okay, you knocked out the guy's tooth, and so I'm going to fine you $50, something like that, I, you know, whatever they would pay. Um, it, you know, it, I have no idea why there was so much eye poking and tooth knocking out in those days, but you get the idea, right? It would sort of be like this. If someone stole my car, uh, then the most the judge could say is that restitution would have to be made and I would have to be given a new car back. It wouldn't be like, okay, the guy stole my car, so do you get the death penalty? It's all about grace. And so the question is, why would Jesus bring it up? And the answer is because religious leaders of Jesus' day do the same thing that we do today. What they did was they took um, this law that was intended for the court system and it was intended to actually restrain retaliation, and what they did was they started using it on a personal level to actually enable retaliation. 
And so that would be like, so imagine I had a neighbor who mowed his grass all the time and it bothered me. And at some point he ran over my flower bed. And then late in the night, what I did was I turned on my lawnmower because that would be the most bothersome to him. And then I went and ran over his flower bed and then also ran over his whole vegetable garden. And he'd come running out and say, what's going on here? And I'd say, hey man, eye for an eye, right? You did something to me, so I'm gonna do it to you. Jesus is gonna correct that today. Um, in, in other words, like everything else, Jesus actually challenges our understanding of, of the law, and he also raises the standard of the law. And so he takes this sort of failure of grace, and he teaches instead what it looks like to have a life of grace. What does it look like to actually live in a way that doesn't retaliate? And so he gives four examples in verses 39 through 42. So the first example is this, is, is one, the, the first way he encourages us to live a life of grace is when we are offended or insulted. Notice in verse 39, he says, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. So in other words, this, that, when, this whole idea of turning the other cheek, that really has to do with insult. That's not about someone just punching you. It has to do with, you know, typically people were right-handed, and if so, if someone slapped you on the right cheek, they would actually have to backhand you to do that. And that would be an insult. And Jesus is saying, you need to just bear that insult. In fact, not only bear it, but give them the other cheek as well. So that's teaching number one. The second teaching is he says you need to be able to suffer loss. He says in verse uh, 40, he says, if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And so, you know, imagine... Um, in the ancient Near East, the cloak was sort of something that was untouchable because it was not only your outer garment when it was cold, but it was something that you slept with. It'd be like if you're in the army, especially in the Ranger Battalion, if someone sued you and they said they, they, they sue you and they win your uniform, and then someone said, but also you need to give your poncho liner. <gasps> right? If you know anything about Rangers and poncho liners, they are inseparable. And Jesus says, nope, if someone sues you and wins your uniform, you need to give them the poncho liner as well. That's pretty shocking, to be honest with you. The third thing he tells us to do, if you're going to live a life of grace, has to do when the government disrupts your life. Notice what he says here. He says in verse um, 41, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. And who he's referring to there is the Roman government, right? The Roman government could take any citizen of Israel and compel them to walk a thousand paces for them and carry their stuff, their packs, their goods, whatever they had. And Jesus is saying when the government interrupts and says, we need you to do this, not only do it, but double it. In other words, if they ask you to walk a mile, go another mile, right? So the life of grace uh, is also submissive to authority. And then the last thing he says here is that basically the life of grace is generous. He says when you're in a position to help, help. Verse 42, give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. So he's, he's gone from bearing insult to suffering loss to, to submitting to the government to now actually being generous. Like those are pretty, pretty tall orders, especially when in my mind as I read this, I'm like, what about justice? What about retaliation? The whole point of the, the, even if I was misusing an eye for an eye, I was misusing it because someone has offended me. What am I supposed to do then? How am I supposed to deal with the fact that I've been offended? How am I supposed to deal with the fact that there's justice here that has not been served? And that's what we 
where I'm going to go next, because here's the thing. If you're not a Christian and you read through that list, I would expect you to think those things are ridiculous. Why? Because if, there, if you don't believe there, there's a God who is somehow going to, to bring ultimate justice, who's somehow going to cover your butt at the end, who's somehow going to take care of you, then it makes sense that you would want to take care of yourself and that you would want to get justice for yourself. On the other hand, if you are a Christian, it changes everything. And that's sort of the point, isn't it? Right? If you are a Christian, what you'd learn is that more and more you and I have the ability to do these things. And the reason we have the ability to do these things is because Jesus has already done them for us. That Jesus is the one who has turned the other cheek. That Jesus is the one who has suffered loss on our behalf. Jesus is the one that submitted to the government on our behalf. Jesus is the one that shows us generosity. More generosity than we could ever imagine. And on top of all that, he gave us an example to follow. And by the way, we don't earn his favor by following his example. We follow his example because we have his favor. That's what you'll see next. Put differently, we, we can only live a life of grace to the extent we've been saved and transformed by the man of grace. Without some kind of transformation in our hearts and souls and some kind of understanding that we have been shown grace, could we really be expected to be showers of grace ourselves? So I'm going to turn to 1 Peter uh, chapter 2 in order to look at Jesus, this example that Jesus gave us of living out the gospel, especially as found in the Sermon on the Mount. Let me read to you verses 21 through 25 in 1 Peter. Jesus, it says, for this you have been To this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So I, before we consider the example... Think about what Jesus did for us, because that changes everything. You see, at some level, at a cosmic level, all of us are offenders. All of us, you know, Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Or, you know, Hebrews 9.27 says, just as it appointed man wants to die, and after that, what? To face judgment. That every human being in the whole world throughout all history will face judgment the judgment and justice of God one way or the other. That's a promise. And the, the justice that we face, the standard by which we, we will be judged, um, is, is not a curve. In other words, um, uh, am I better than Hitler? Honestly, I think so. I hope so. On one hand, unfortunately, God doesn't grade on a curve. So on one hand, I will be judged according to the perfect standard of God's law. On the other hand, we will be judged by our own low moral standards. In other words, what if you're sitting out there thinking, you know, I've never even read the Bible. I don't even know what the standards are. How can I be responsible for them? That's a fair question. So in that case, I would say, ask yourself, have you been 100% obedient or 100% compliant with your own moral standards, whatever they happen to be? In other words, if you stand before God and he'll say, Tommy, you had your own moral standards that you said you lived by. Were you obedient to them? And did you comply with them 100% of the time? 
And even in that case, I fail. I don't know about you, but all of us fail and all of us will somehow have experienced justice. Now the question is, is will we experience justice in our own person or will someone else experience it for us? And that's the whole purpose of the cross of Jesus, right? At the cross of Jesus, what he did was he bore the weight of God's justice for our sins. That Jesus went to the cross and all of our sins were, were credited to him. And all of the justice that they deserved, all of the wrath that God would pour out on them. When Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's because God was pouring out his judgment upon him, not because he was simply turning away from him. And in that same, in the, that, that same breath, while our sins are given to Jesus, all of his goodness is given to us. All of his righteousness is given to us. Theologians call that imputation. But the good news of the gospel is that if you have trusted Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, not only are they forgiven, not only is the debt paid, but you actually have a positive account with God. That when he looks at you, he is as pleased with you as he will ever be. Do you believe that? Do you think that? Because if you understand that, if you believe that, if you think it, then you can actually start to live out the things that Jesus said. You can actually start to live out this example. What was his example? Notice in verses 21 through 23, or one, it says, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. Okay, so that's pretty simple. He didn't lie. He was not deceitful. Um, look at verse uh, 23. It says, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Now, did you see what it says there? It says, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. In other words, he turned the other cheek. When he, was, when he was threatened, it says, when he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. And that's the key to the way Jesus accomplished our salvation, I think, is that phrase at the end there where it says, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. That's the example. Jesus believed the promises of God. He believed the purposes of God. He believed the plan of God. And trusting in all of that, he could put up with or he could endure what God threw his way, what came his way. And he, can, he could do it with integrity. He could do it without lashing out. He could do it without reviling in return. He could do it without threatening because he knew that what he was going through was part of God's plan and that ultimately there would be justice for every human being, either on the cross through him or in and of their own person. And so if all of that's true, now consider what the gospel enables you to do. If thinking back on those four things that Jesus talked to us about, if the gospel uh, is, is true, number one, we can bear criticism and insult, right? We can turn the other cheek. Why can we turn the other cheek? You see, so many of us, I think, are defensive because we put so much weight in our own goodness and our own ability to prepare and our own ability to be right. And when that's challenged, we have to fight back in order to preserve that. What the gospel says is you don't have to do that anymore because you actually have a better reputation than the one you're trying to build. The reputation you have is the reputation of Jesus. So let people insult you. Also, you have God's complete and utter approval because of the cross of Christ. If people want to insult you, let them. You have God's approval. And even finally, remember how I, I, I'm fond of improv comedy, and that, that is instructive here. 
right? You remember the way improv works is, is in order to keep the story moving, you always have to say yes and, no matter what someone says. And so when someone comes and says, Tommy, you're the worst sinner who ever lives, I can say yes and I am forgiven. But Tommy, you're the, you're, the, you're the worst person who ever lived. Yes, and I'm as righteous as Christ now because of my faith in his work, not in my own. You see how that works? Say yes, and. Second thing, we can bear loss. right? We can, we can bear loss knowing not only that God will provide, but that, that Jesus lost everything in order to win us and will also freely give us all things, the Bible says. Number three, we can submit to authority gladly now, right? Lawful submission to government authorities on one hand shows that we actually, who the true king is, but also we can have confidence that every crooked politician, every uh, politician that has done wrong, they will face the judgment of God someday. I mean, honestly, that helps me sleep some nights, knowing instead of getting wrapped around the axle and worried about everything I see on Facebook or worried about every news story, I can tell myself, you know what? Justice will be done in this situation, either through the cross of Christ and forgiveness and reconciliation, or it will be done ultimately. But it's not up to me to actually achieve that justice. The third thing, or fourth thing, we can be generous now. You see, not only do we, do, do we believe that God will provide for us, right? That sounds pretty sort of Sunday schoolish on, on one hand. On the other hand, we have experienced great generosity that what we experience through the cross of Christ, the forgiveness we experience, the, the mercy we experience is all grace. It's unmerited favor that we experience uh, for no, nothing, no works of our own, but only by faith. And why is this all important? Remember the second to last, uh, the second to last beatitude was blessed are the peacemakers that Jesus expects us to be peacemakers, not retaliators. In other words, the goal of the gospel, the goal of Jesus coming was not retribution and wrath and retaliation, but it was ultimately reconciliation. It was to, to tell people that they, don't, that, that they might experience mercy instead of justice and ask them to, to choose one. You know, and that leads me finally to, to this final story I, I'll tell you to close with. You know, when our girls were small, they're all grown now. When they were small, I would come home from work. My wife would homeschool them during the day. And I would come home from work and sort of get a report. Um, who needed like a little discipline? Or maybe who needed a little visit to the inner spanctum, if you know what I'm saying. And it was oftentimes the same girl. And I would often take her back to the inner spanctum after a long day of schooling. And we'd talk through what she had done. And then at some point, she would always be crying, and I would just, nothing had happened yet. She would be crying. And at some point, I would say, what is the definition of justice? And she would stop. <laughs> what is it? I get what I deserve. And I'd say, okay. Now, what is the definition of mercy? <laughs> I don't get what I deserve. And I'd say, now, which one do you want? A hundred percent of the time, she chose mercy. A hundred percent. Why? Because she's not a fool. If someone is extending you mercy when you deserve justice, why would you not take it? Think about that. Let me pray for us. Father, I do just pray that as we consider these, the, the, the Sermon on the Mount and this whole issue of justice, that you would give us some sense of peace 
for against those who have wronged us, peace against the, the, the turmoil that we see in the world, and that you would give us hope that ultimately there will be justice done, and ultimately we would not experience that because we have our faith in Christ. In his name we pray, amen and amen. At this point in the service, typically at church when we were live, we would do uh, the offertory and the doxology, and if you are a member of New Hope and want to give, you'll see probably in the links below, somewhere, I'm guessing, um, ways to give, or you can go to our website. And I thought I would close with this. It's uh, the Heidelberg Catechism, and we would typically do a profession of faith before we do communion. And as we head into Holy Week this week, this is a time to consider, really, the suffering of Jesus on our behalf. And so the question I'm going to ask and answer to myself um, is question 37. And the question is this, what do you understand by the word suffered? And that's the word suffered in the, the Apostles' Creed, where it says Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate. And the answer is this, that during his whole life on earth, but especially at the end, Christ sustained in body and soul the anger of God against the sin of the whole human race. This he did in order that by his suffering as the only atoning sacrifice, he might set us free, body and soul, from eternal condemnation and gain for us God's grace righteousness, and eternal life. Amen. So now let me send you from this virtual space, I guess, with this benediction, saying in the words of Zephaniah, the Lord your God is with you. The Lord your God is a mighty and victorious warrior. The Lord your God will quiet you in his love, and the Lord your God rejoices over you with great shouts of joy. Go in his peace. Amen and amen. <laughs>